All right, come on in, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 111 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, the founder and CEO of Azure Group Consulting. Over the past 16 years, we've worked with hundreds of fintech vendors and enterprise wealth management firms to guide them towards making better business and technology decisions. This is our September News Roundup. <sighs> September News Roundup. <sighs> Where I cover the latest news in wealth management, asset management, and crypto technologies. We've got five great stories for you to cover. And what are they? Here's my list. The list of stories is going to be uh, Snappy Kraken and Redtail launch text messaging products. That's story number one. Story number two. Uh, serial entrepreneur Steve Lockshin's new tech startup Vanilla gets Rockefeller, uh, Rockefeller VC funding. Story number two. Story number three. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Mobile Assistant launches a their template manager for uh, voice-to-text recording for advisors. Story number four. DPL Financial launches their insurance marketplace with SS&C Advent. Story number five, and last but not least, is our crypto story. Yes, crypto. We love the crypto stories here at Wealth Tech Today podcast. That's the SEC threatens to sue Coinbase over their crypto lending product. All right, so before we get going with this, a couple of housekeeping tasks. A quick shout out to our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation. Please go to the website, investinothers.org. And be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss future episodes. All right, let's get things started. Kicking off our September News Roundup. Redtail Technologies and Snappy Kraken both announced text messaging applications. Now, they are, while they're both announcing them, they're very different usages of text messaging. And Snappy Kraken's is brand new, and Redtail's is an upgrade to a version of text messaging they already had. Marketing technology from Snappy Kraken is launching their own compliant text messaging marketing feature called Convos which includes a content library with pre-built text messages, including graphics and and other things, memes and things, I guess. And that's mainly, I would imagine, a a purely a marketing service, ways to outreach to to your clients and prospects, pre-generated content to start conversations and and build a communication with clients. So very different than you would see from the the Redtail product. Uh, All content in the library is FINRA approved. So Snappy Kraken is debuting a feature called Leads Never Get Leads Never Get Cold, a library of pre-generated content to start conversations with clients and includes specific finance-related information. So all this can be pushed out through text messaging, which as we have seen is a way that most people prefer to get their information. According to a survey, just 14% of companies are texting consumers, despite... Uh, 55% of consumers preferring to get information via text messages versus 35% preferring email. So this Convo's application, pushing out text messages to clients and prospects 
Sounds like a great marketing tool, great way to keep communications going. We really like what Snappy Kraken has done, especially around their campaigns. So we're expecting convos to be well-designed, pre-packaged with lots of themes that make it easy for advisors to pick out the content that they want, depending on the type of client they are. I know they've got different packages for, for example, physicians or new business owners or other types of niche target markets that an advisor might target for prospective clients. So I would imagine that the Convos library, these, uh, these uh, pre-packaged content libraries will be broken up by different categories and different, maybe different times of the year or different um, f- uh, f- events in, in someone's life. You know, if you have, an, uh, a, you have a new kid or your child's going to college or someone getting married or divorced, they might have different types of uh, content that you can push out to those kinds of leads or prospects or customers. So looking forward to seeing what Convos has to offer uh, around the marketing. Now it integrates with MyRepChat, which is third-party compliance application because everything you send out as an advisor needs to be compliant, needs to be archived and stored. So MyRepChat will be doing that. And I think Redtail is also using MyRepChat for their compliance. So good news for MyRepChat. Now on the other side, before I finish, so... Convo's service starts at $19 a month with, with each outbound text message costing 10 cents. Now that's weird. I mean, I think we've, haven't we gotten used to text messages being free for a long time now? Costing 10 cents to go out. I'm not sure how that's going to go over. Speak, Redtail's existing product. So they launched it in 2017, their text messaging feature, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, and they're upgrading it. New version, Speak 2.0 which will be available in early 2022, according to the company. And Speak is a great product, allows a compliant communication between advisors and, and clients and prospects, all captured in, of course, Redtail CRM, which I think is really the best way to do it. You want everything in one place, all your data about your clients in one place. You don't want to have to go to one data store for compliant text messaging and then go to your CRM and see something else or have to copy paste data back and forth. So CRM is where all this communication should be stored. This new uh, this new version of Speak is currently in beta test. Uh, as I said, they're launching in 2022. And they're also integrated with MyRepChat. Now, compliant text messaging is not new for advisors since it's been out since 2017 from Redtail, but also another company called Hearsay Systems, which used to be Hearsay Social, but now Hearsay Systems, launched their own compliant text messaging in 2018. So lots of choices for advisors around text messaging. And one thing that they didn't mention in any of the articles is that Redtail and the CEO, Brian McLaughlin, who uh, I've talked to extensively about this, have been working sort of under the covers and really not talking about it a lot on a lot of AI-related work because of all the data they have as a CRM provider with tens of thousands of advisor and RA clients, they're getting a lot of data emails, notes, now text messages since 2017. All that data is perfect to feed a machine learning algorithm, perfect for building out these AI uh, big data uh, systems that can provide advice, recommendations to advisors. Like, hey, we've noticed based on certain patterns that when clients mention these keywords, that means you you need to give them a call. Or when we see these other keywords, that means they're really happy and they're satisfied and they would 
probably give you a referral. Or these other keywords might mean that they have some other life event coming up that you should call them about. And that I think is going to be a huge benefit for Redtail once they release it. I'm still they're still working on it. It's not something you just you could just crank out and throw out um, in a couple of months. So I'm looking forward to their AI-based um, systems, next best actions or other advice that they can give to advisors based on all the data they're collecting. So looking forward to seeing that. Next up in our news roundup, successful serial entrepreneur Steve Lockshin's new tech startup, Vanilla, gets Rockefeller VC funding to the tune of $11.6 million in a Series A round. According to a survey by Caring.com, only 42% of advisors, advisors, only 42% of American adults have essential estate planning documents such as a living will or trust. Steve Lockshin, who founded uh, and is the principal of RAA firm Advice Period, is rolling out an automated estate planning platform through his company called Vanilla. Launched in mid-2020, although they founded the company in 2019, the latest venture is an attempt to modernize the antiquated and expensive business, particularly when it comes to generating and managing core documents. So what is Vanilla? It's really a document generation and attorney connection tool, if I could put it pretty quickly. Sort of like a match.com for estate, estate planners and estate lawyers. With uh, It's like going to match.com and having them do the marriage license for you, right? Something like that. Although there's a lot more documents when it comes to trust in the States. Uh, as part of their initial offering, they offer a guided experience for advisors and their clients through the process of creating the core documents for an estate plan. So I walk through the process and uh, it looks pretty nice. And it's really step by step. And it puts all the process, all the emphasis on the client. So the advisor just has to send the link and get them to use it. Then the, the system walks the client through all the, all the questions. So the advisor sort of hands off on that part and then connects them with a lawyer. Again, the advisor's hands off, so no legal issues, and that all take, gets taken care of. And then Vanilla will generate all the documents necessary and also monitor the documents as things go along to show you when there's data missing, information that, that might be wrong, including uh, estates, trust structures, gifts, healthcare wishes. And Lakshin started this tech business or this tech tool really because he needed it for advice period, as most of their clients are high net worth individuals and families. And after working on estate plans and talking with attorneys for 30 years, he's learned that, at least according to his words, most of the problems with estate plans are tracking down forms, filling in data, and checking for screw-ups, in his word. So one thing I really like about some startups, if they're if they're the founders are scratching their own itch. So if it's not they're building something and hope people will come to it, is they've got a problem that they're trying to solve with this software. That usually is a good first step to, to finding a solution that is going to work or, or a team that's going to get uh, across the threshold because they've got the problem and they're solving it themselves. Another uh, thing I like about the way Steve uh, described Vanilla, uh, he described the contemporary financial advisor's role as being a general contractor. And I, I feel the same way. Uh, too many advisors think they have to be experts at everything rather than just being the coordinator, being the quarterback. And, he, and Steve says, like being a good contractor, you need to be hiring the right plumber, the right builder, the right roofer to build a house, a house metaphor. And the general contractor is not an expert at everything. They're a good generalist. Estate planning is the last undigitized frontier of wealth advisory, says Venrock's Nick Beam. Uh, Venrock being the Rockefeller Fund, uh, Rockefeller VC Fund. 
Vanilla's breakthrough service integrates the financial and legal sides of estate planning and automates complex estate planning logic. That's a big deal for, for a lot of fintechs and makes them successful. You find an area of well, our business or, or any business that is just still manual, still fragmented, still requires a lot of steps, a lot of paper, and estate planning is that way. So what is this about their, their Series A? So uh, including in the Series A Venrock, as well as Jason Wink, founder and CEO of Altruist, and William McNabb, the former CEO and chairman of Vanguard Group, who is also joining the Vanilla's board of directors. Interesting connection, Venrock is also an investor in Altruist, just invested in their recent fund, $50 million funding round. And Bill McNabb is on Altruist's board. So lots of overlap between Venrock, Bill McNabb, and Altruist, and Vanilla. And according to a tweet, I tweeted out to, um, to Jason Wink, uh, will there be any integrations planned between Vanilla and Altruist? And he said, yes, in his verbose style. Yes, so we're expecting to see some integrations with Altruist and Vanilla and other firms that have announced uh, integrations with Vanilla. If I can scroll down that part of my notes, Orion and Adapar both announced partnerships with Vanilla to integrate. Uh, Eric Clark from Orion really likes the way Vanilla works and, and sees some of the mutual clients uh, think that the process works well. So they're going to integrate it into the rest of their system for higher net worth clients. And Adapar already is in the high net worth space. It makes perfect sense for them to connect. Uh, they uh, have a lot of clients in the high net worth, both family offices as well as high net worth RIAs. So some of the features, interesting features I like about Vanilla uh, obviously, the document generation, the connection to advisors uh, or other attorneys, but also the, the, the monitoring. That's something that really takes the power of technology to the next level. Anyone can generate a document, but to monitor it over time, uh, to modify the, to mo monitor the client's estate and provide maybe a dashboard for the advisor to, to highlight areas that need to be addressed, really powerful, gives them more of a long-term play rather than just generate a document and go away. Here, it gives them the ability to charge ongoing fees forever, basically, for these clients. A great business model. So I don't, again, I don't know of any competitors doing exactly this, but they've got to integrate with uh, technology like eMoney, considering most of the clients that they mentioned they have all use eMoney for estate planning. Now, it's a bit different because they're um, gathering all the data and doing what-if scenarios, Not and eMoney doesn't generate the estate planning documents, but... You've got to integrate. It makes it only makes sense to integrate with eMoney and Navaplan, which are the one in number one, two, uh, when it comes to estate planning, uh, financial planning software, and then maybe Prize Labs at some point as well. I also compare this uh, the vanilla network and connection to attorneys, which is similar to uh, something that Investnet is doing, which they call the Trust Exchange, which is a network of attorneys and estate planners that Investnet is hooking up their advisors with. Uh, so something similar, although that doesn't generate any documents, but still connecting to trusted um, sources in the business through the investment network. Um, very similar in some respects. Uh, let's see, Vanilla is gathering feedback. They're going to launch Vanilla 2.0 soon. They'll be, let's see, new features, all new advisor dashboard. Oh, that's where I got that, that from, the, the monitoring the advisor dashboard. They already mentioned that. Uh, a new client onboarding flow. Very important for any tool, onboarding has got to be a great process. It's the first um, 
part of the, the experience for a client is onboarding. If onboarding doesn't work well, the client's not going to be happy. They may abandon or they may just be unsatisfied and eventually bail out. So good thing they're doing a new client onboarding flow, proactive estate planning opportunities and reminders, and ongoing monitoring of the client's estate. We talked about Orion and Adapar. They claim 400 RIAs, uh, as well as Mariner Wealth and Carson Group, two of the biggest RIA networks uh, in the country. So it's great having them on board. Uh, and also Marty Bicknell from Mariner was an investor in the seed round of Vanilla. So it makes sense. And also Mariner Wealth bought Advice Period, Steve Lockshin's firm. So they were using Vanilla now. Mariner's using Vanilla as well. And then, of course, Carson Group's using it. And Carson Group is a big e-money user. So I'm expecting some integrations there. And it's really a combination of a well-connected founder with Vanilla and Steve Lockshin, strong financial backing. Eventually, I know he put a lot of his own money into it. And a vision of how to dig digitize complex manual paper-based processes with software. The best way to do this, um, more power to them. This is, uh, I see a lot of runway for this product and let's see what they're doing with the, the Series A and where they wind up in a couple of years. Mobile Assistant launches their template manager. Most busy professionals don't always take the best notes when they're meeting with clients. Since they usually focus on listening and responding to the client and don't want to interrupt the flow of meetings to take notes. Mobile Assistant comes in handy. It allows advisors to basically make a phone call and speak their notes and a human, it's recorded and a human reviews it and types it up and sends it back to them uh, very quickly. Now, these types of tools, there's, only, there's not many available. If you look at the, the Keats's Advice Tech Map, which uh, I help Michael on every month, you can find that at keatses.com. There's only three products in the client note-taking category. That's Mobile Assistant, CopyTalk, and Pulse360, which is actually more of a document creation and organizational tool. It's not really a note-taking. It's not a voice-to-text tool like CopyTalk and Mobile Assistant. But what are these templates and why are they important? When you're, when you're, doing, when you're using the Mobile Assistant, especially on, on the mobile app, it, it gives you a series of questions and you can customize the questions. That way it reminds you, it prompts you what you need to respond to for that particular uh, note. So if it's a client review meeting, the, the list of questions might say, okay, don't tell me the client name and meeting date, the financial status, any change in, in the financial status, there is tolerance updates, investment objectives, time horizons, et cetera, et cetera. So it prompts you step-by-step step through the process of uh, speaking your notes for the meeting and also reminds you the things you need to talk about so in case you forgot. So it's a great little tool. Uh, these templates, easy to create, but it, in the past, it was difficult to manage your templates. If you had multiples, if you had a client review meeting, if you had maybe a new onboarding client meeting, if you had um, maybe a, a meeting with a client that you had to, uh, for a specific type of issue, maybe they, they've just got married and they want to talk about, or they want to talk about estate planning, like we were just talking about vanilla earlier, might be different types of questions you would ask or notes you want to take for those meetings. Difficult to manage all your templates. So the template manager makes it easy to manage your templates, uh, big buttons, different colors. You can name each template, move them around, click on the one you want. Really simple from the mobile app, which, which uh, note do you want to record? Then it walks you through it, whether it's a Reg BI, discovery meeting, a phone call, things like that. And you can create your own, of course, or use some of the pre-built ones. So it's a, cool, it's a cool app, very useful. I mean, I know I'm not a financial advisor, but I use automated voice transcription service all the time. 
I wish I had something like mobile assistant, but for consultants, I wound up using a bunch of other online services um, that, are, that are just generic. They're not specific for my industry, but having a tool like mobile assistant, very helpful. Um, and they, and it, it's not just uh, an automated system. You know, I've used the automated ones and they're just not right. They're, they're still missing. I still need a human to go through the transcript and clean it up because it, it's just never done right because machines aren't there yet. And especially with uh, customized uh, or, or our, our particular industry jargon. And a lot of that goes out. Uh, so the systems can't possibly know it all. So the fact that mobile assistant uses humans to do it means you're going to get pretty close to 100% accuracy every time. And it's also secure. Your notes aren't going out on the internet, not being fed into some system somewhere and then used for some other, other purpose. You know, Even though it might be anonymized, they're still taking your notes and using it to train their other systems, not giving you any benefit there. Mobile assistant doesn't do that. You can get more information about Mobile Assistant at their website, mobileassistant.us. To talk about our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation is a nonprofit that recognizes financial advisors for their exceptional charitable work. Their 15th annual Invest in Others Awards will be held digitally this year from September 20th through September 23rd. That's just eight days from now. Be sure to tune in each day at 4.45 p.m. Eastern time to watch as each award category winner is unveiled. You can watch on investinothers.org forward slash awards, and there's no logins or passwords required. Now, I've been involved with Invest in Others for three, no, four years now. It's a great organization. They do a lot of good. Uh, please donate on the website, investinothers.org. I'm sure your company will match your donations, and almost every wealth management company that I know of is involved in Invest in Others. They do a, a, some fantastic work. Each finalist in the Invest in Others Awards receives a donation of $20,000. And the winners in each category, and I believe there are five categories, receive between $50,000 and $75,000 towards their nonprofit. And these are life-changing amounts for some of these organizations. And I've been uh, lucky enough to be part of the judging on some of these categories. And they're uh, the, the categories are things like local community involvement, uh, international charitable work, um, uh, you know, uh, lifetime achievement awards, uh, things like that. So uh, they, they break it out in different ways. And it's really tough to, to pick the winners because there's so many good charities that are doing such good work, building schools, getting, um, helping feed people, building orphanages overseas, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, makes me feel really inadequate. I really got to step up my, my volunteer game, but investinothers.org is a great uh, organization, great charity. You should check them out at their website and uh, you don't want to miss their awards this year. And please tune in on their website, investinothers.org forward slash awards to find out who wins. I don't know who's going to win. We need to learn. We need to know. We want to know who the winners are. So check them out. And the next story is DPL Financial Partners launches an insurance exchange, an online insurance marketplace with SSNC Black Diamond. The platform called SSNC Advent Insurance Marketplace allows advisors to access a range of fee-only products through Black Diamond's wealth platform and DPL's proprietary product discovery tools. So this is uh, from our good friends at Investment News, also a story at thinkadvisor.com. And I'm not sure why the story is coming out now because 
I thought they announced this earlier. I know even on my podcast, and I don't break news in my podcast, it's more analysis and, and, uh, and industry trends, but I spoke to David Lau, the founder and CEO of DPL Financial Partners back in May. That's episode 87, for those of you keeping track at home. And um, David founded DPL Financial Partners, and he was formerly COO of Jefferson National Insurance. One of the reasons why he founded this company was he really wanted to change the way annuities and insurance product are distributed. He felt that that was the most expensive part of the product and that they needed to move away from the commission-based model. And every other product in the world has moved away from commissions except for insurance. So he saw that the fee-based insurance model needed um, a delivery mechanism and he wanted to build a platform to do that, technology-based platform, which is what DPL is. It helps RIAs become more holistic by adding insurance uh, to their repertoire and also helps insurance agents who are getting into wealth uh, do the same thing. And he believes that annuities have a bad rap and that the, this marketplace will help that by providing more transparency, making it easier for price shopping and comparison shopping of annuities. And they've got some good traction at DPL. In just the past two and a half, three years, they have over a thousand RIAs on their platform. Some statistics from that David shared with me, um, insurance is approximately 20% of most people's investable assets between permanent life, which is, 18, which is an $18 trillion market, and annuities, which is only about a $4 trillion market, versus all RIA assets, which are $3 trillion. So there is quite a bit, of, quite a lot of assets there. And if you can turn them into fee-based assets, which is what DPL does, so there's no commissions on these products, they're all fee-based. I believe DPL builds in a 1% platform fee. I'm looking through my notes here. I believe that's what they do, um, which is a lot cheaper than what you'd pay in commissions previously. Uh, he threw some numbers around, I believe he was talking about 300 basis points or more, 360 basis points for a, a five or $600,000 annuity. So 1% is quite a bit cheaper. And 30% uh, of most RA clients own an annuity or two and most RAs historically ignore it. So by, by leveraging the DPL platform, even advisors who aren't licensed to sell insurance can do so uh, on a fee-based uh, basis. DPL recently raised, well, not recently anymore, it's already September. Last December, DPL raised, ran a capital raise, they got $26 million. Uh, a couple of the people who were investing, Todd Boley, who owns the LA Dodgers, and Bob Diamond, former or the current CEO of Barclays Bank which gives them some dry powder for more development, building out their platform or even M&A, maybe they're gonna buy somebody. So there's no load commission-free marketplace, the Advent Insurance Marketplace, which you can get through Black Diamond. Now the um, DPL really wants to be the Intel inside, at least that's what, what David tells me. And they, they offer their platform uh, through APIs and other technologies where you can plug into it. So you don't have to use their interface, you can plug into something else. And they're also trying to uh, offer or you know, position annuities as being a more efficient investment than fixed income bonds and other, other investments. And David shared a scenario where $50,000 in income over a 30-year period would require $1.2 million in bonds versus, just just, uh, versus a $750,000 annuity. So he's showing it as being cheaper or less capital intensive to generate the same amount of income, which may be true. The only difference is after the if after those 30 years are up, assuming the 
owner of the annuity is still alive, uh, the annuity is gone, right? So the annuity is zero. Whereas the bonds, you still own the $1.2 million in bonds. If they're throwing off 4% interest on average, uh, that's 48,000. So there's a, diff there's a bit of a difference there uh, between those two. But uh, still, there, there are some uh, definite advantages to annuities over bonds in some cases. There, let's see what else. With this broker-dealer, uh, broker this uh, Black Diamond integration, they're able to plug it in to the Black Diamond wealth market, wealth platform, so they can combine uh, wealth and insurance and show some other, some data, uh, and able to show RIAs and advisors and their clients how uh, annuities can play and, and become a complementary asset to their investments. Also, the DPL marketplace does a lot of modeling. That's some of their benefits with transparency and comparisons. They are modeling over 3,500 annuity products with 40,000 riders, riders and over 400,000 price points to compare fixed income versus annuities and annuities versus annuities. And that's what their, their tools will do. And there's no charge for advisors to use the product. Overall, uh, it's a great, it's, it seems like a great idea. Uh, they're getting a lot of traction. Some of their competitors would be Retire One, which has an outsourced insurance desk similar to DPL. Uh, also Fidex, F-I-D-X, which is partnered with Investnet on the Investnet Insurance Exchange, which is also a competitor. So lots of ways for advisors to access insurance. More choice is always good. More integration is always good. We're seeing a lot more of these uh, marketplaces launching, not just DPL, Retire One, and Fidex and Investnet, uh, we're seeing annuity marketplaces being launched by firms like Luma, Simon, um, and other online marketplaces. We've done a lot of research on that. If you go to our website, ezragroupllc.com, and fill out a discovery form or a contact us form, we can share some of that with you and tell you some things we're working on and some of the research we have on online marketplaces. Here we go, story number five. And this is our crypto story. We're going to have a crypto story in every month's news roundup. This crypto story is probably the biggest news in the crypto space going on right now. The SEC threatens to sue Coinbase over their crypto lending product. Coinbase, for those of you who live under a rock, is the largest digital asset trading platform in the US. And they received a, oh, they're also a public company now. So you can, their NASDAQ symbol is COIN, C-O-I-N. They received a Wells notice from the SEC. A Wells notice is a legal document that indicates the SEC is investigating the company, indicating it may pursue an enforcement action while giving the company an opportunity to respond as to why it should not sue them. So now Coinbase, uh, of course, is a crypto company. They, are, they have a mobile app where people can buy and sell crypto. And it is the most popular. I think they were they uh, when they went public, they announced over a billion dollars in revenue. So they were really doing quite well. And uh, they think their their uh, market cap when they launched was over 100 billion. Then it dropped down a bit. It's probably down to 80 billion now. But still, quite a big company. There, their revenues really accelerated last year as many uh, trading companies like uh, Robinhood and, and other firms. I know, I'm sorry, they're up to $2 billion in revenue uh, as of August 10th, 2021. So big company, decent sized company for the space. So what is the deal here? Uh, Coinbase plan to launch 
a program called LEND. And that's what got the SEC upset. The yield on interest, where you would basically lock up cryptocurrency with Coinbase and they'd pay you interest on it, depending on the type of cryptocurrency. Now, LEND was going to offer 4%, which is huge compared to what a bank would offer, which is you know, 0.06%. 4%, 400 basis points for anyone who wanted to lock up USDC, which is a dollar-based stablecoin. So a stablecoin is a cryptocurrency, but it's always valued at a dollar, different than Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other cryptos that trade um, at different prices on their on exchanges, uh, where stablecoins are always a dollar. So locking up stablecoin for a certain amount of time, either 90 days, 60, 90 days, um, or even longer, would generate, uh, would generate this interest payment. The SEC uh, decided that this is a security. What happened, what caused all the big ruckus in the news and on Twitter and, and around was Brian Armstrong announced that the SEC had sent him this notice in basically a, a long Twitter thread, which most people probably wouldn't do, but uh, Brian felt that it was the best way to announce that and be transparent. Funny tweet from uh, Doug Bonaparte, who runs uh, Bonafide Wealth, he's an advisor, says, uh, Coinbase CEO, I should tweet about the SEC, Coinbase Council, that's a bad idea. Coinbase CEO, time for a thread. And then it all goes downhill from there. I'm not sure that's really the reason, but maybe it wasn't such a good idea to, to tweet about the SEC. A couple other good tweets about this. One from Mark Cuban, the, the billionaire owner of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, which is why, why it's important for Coinbase to be aggressive in their engagement with the SEC, because he believes that if Coinbase isn't aggressive, the SEC will go after a small decentralized entity, get a quick judgment, and that'll become law of the land. They'll use that as precedent. So that's why he thinks Coinbase needs to push back on this. Some of the tweets, the SEC wants to impose their legal definition of a financial instrument conceived in the 1930s, specifically the Securities Act of 1933, onto a 21st century monetary technology that needs to be some pushback. Again, Mark Cuban tweeting on September 8th, Brian, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, this is, a regula this is regulation via litigation. They aren't capable of working through this themselves and are afraid of making mistakes in doing so. That's why they just leave it to the lawyers. Now, I'm not sure about that as well, but there is a really good um, article written by Matt Levine. You can look it up on, um, on Bloomberg.com. It uh, it's called Lending Bitcoins is Tricky from Matt Levine on September 8th. Really good article. A lot of people have quoted this and have referred to it. So the, the issue here is that Coinbase doesn't think their lending platform is a security that it shouldn't be regulated by the SEC. Uh, but uh, as Mark Levine, uh, Matt Levine points out, um, lending Bitcoin or other crypto is a security. Oh, sure. I'm just going to read from this article. Lending Bitcoins is tricky. Oh, sure. Yes, absolutely. The rule in the U.S. is that an investment contract, meaning the investment of money in a common enterprise with a reasonable expectation of profits to be derived from the efforts of others, is a security, as Matt Levine points out, and generally can't be sold to the public without registering it with the Securities and Exchange Commission, delivering a prospectus with audited financial statements, 
etc. A crypto lending program in which one a bunch of people pool their crypto, some manager or smart contract lends those crypto to borrowers who pay interest, and some or all of the interest is paid back to the people in the pool, is pretty straightforwardly an investment contract and thus a security. So that kind of cuts the legs out. Now, Matt is not a lawyer, but that argument cuts the legs out from under um, Brian Armstrong and Coinbase and Mark Cuban that their lending program is a security. But some other uh, crypto people, such as Jerry Brito, executive director of Coin Center, doesn't agree. He says it's pretty easy what his recommendation is. Again, he's also not a lawyer, but he recommends Coinbase just goes ahead and launches their product and let the SEC sue and go to court. Then let the SEC make a case, let a judge decide what the law is. That's one way to do it. And again, he uses the same argument Mark Cuban does that you want to fight the SEC now rather than having them go after a small provider uh, without the deep pockets of Coinbase. Now you have your best chance of fighting them, fighting them then, then rather than going after someone without any money who's going to roll over. And uh, so in this case, it's a security, uh, as Matt Levine said. Uh, it's another, another comment. This is also from Matt Levine's article. Still, I feel like both sides are wrong and there's an obviously better analogy. I think this thing is not a stock or a bond or a note or an investment contract. Uh, or a personal IOU or a syndicated loan. Obviously, this thing where you have an account at Coinbase, Coinbase lends your Bitcoins to people it chooses, and you get interest from Coinbase as a bank account. This is what banks do. They hold your money for you, and they use it to fund loans. They pay you interest. They promise to pay you back, even if the loans default. The whole thing is seamless to you. It's just a bank account. Well, that may be one way to look at it, but Coinbase, I don't think, wants it to look that way because then... If they they'd have to become a bank and get a bank charter and then be uh, and then be regulated by the officer the office of the comptroller of the currency like other banks, and they really want to find the middle ground where basically they're not regulated, right? So they're they're really trying to have it both ways. I was looking for another tweet that talked about that. Um, how they they want it both ways. They want to be this cool crypto company. They want to offer lending and other other services, but they don't want the same. Uh, regulations that banks or money transfers or money changing accounts or other other financial services firms, broker dealers or advisors even have. They want some sort of a separate uh, legal entity or legal um, regulatory uh, ruling for them, which probably is not going to happen. All right, so there's uh, there's has been other uh, regulatory issues with uh, lending products offered on crypto. Oh, and just full disclosure before I go on, I should have said this earlier. Uh, I do some of these lending uh, products myself. I use a, a, an app called crypto.com to buy and sell crypto. And I also uh, lock some crypto up in what um, crypto.com has a product called Earn, where you can give them crypto, either basically almost any crypto you want. Uh, and then you lock it up and for, uh, you know, for 30, 60, 90 days, or even a flexible you know, week by week program, and they pay you interest in that crypto. So for example, I've got some Bitcoin locked up in three month earning accounts, that pays me 4.5%. I have some USDC, which is the, the dollar stable coin, well, locked up uh, paying 10%, which is fantastic. I'm very happy about it. But maybe that also should be regulated by the SEC. I don't know.
but that's uh, something that I'm working on. Now, there has been other regulatory issues with other firms trying to offer lending in crypto. For example, just a couple months ago, what is it, September, back in July, New Jersey orders a company called BlockFi to stop offering interest-bearing accounts. New Jersey offered, offered, New Jersey ordered the cryptocurrency platform BlockFi to stop offering interest-bearing accounts that have raised $15 billion from investors. It was a cease and desist order from New Jersey's Bureau of Securities, said BlockFi's accounts were not registered with the office or exempt from registration, and their sale violated New Jersey securities law. Uh, according to the order, investors can buy BlockFi interest accounts by depositing cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, with the company, which uses them to fund lending operations and proprietary trading, like a bank, an investment bank, broker-dealer, or other firms. But they are not regulated like that. So uh, BlockFi was offering yields up to 7.5%, depending on how much and which assets were deposited, and this was all stopped by the state of New Jersey. So... Firms cracking down on crypto lending happening a lot. Now, the, the one interesting thing about this whole fiasco going on uh, is something the SEC is doing, which is raising a lot of eyebrows and it raised my eyebrows as well. And I was concerned about it. It's one thing for the SEC to say, hey, we don't like this product. We want you to stop it or we want to more information about it. But the SEC also asked, and this came out uh, on the Coinbase blog, uh, they asked for formal documents for an investigation, written responses, blah, blah, blah. But they also asked for the name and contact information of every single person on their waiting list. So not even people using the product, but people just on the waiting list. Why? Why would you need that? People who aren't actually doing it, why would they need that? In order to determine if Coinbase's LEND program is a security, the SEC wants the name and contact information of every single customer on the waiting list. Makes absolutely no sense why they would need that. I don't get it. Uh, and, and personally, I, if I was Coinbase, I wouldn't do it. That's that, that you should be protecting your customers' uh, privacy and not giving that to the government. All right. So that's that's a quick rundown on the crypto news. Um, so we're not talking about the price of cryptos here. We're just we're talking about other issues. My my opinion is products like this once they get once they get uh, the regulation nailed down, are really going to be the, the main ways that people work with crypto and the main ways that people interact with crypto. It's not going to be the buying and selling necessarily or using it as an asset class. It's going to be using these other um, decentralized finance products like lending, uh, like trading, and other types of, uh, of decentralized finance products that are going to be cheaper, they're going to be cutting out middlemen, and are going to be allowing uh, a lot of people to be taking advantage of financial products that they may not have been able to because of cost or price or minimums and things. So look for these two to increase and look for more regulation, but then uh, more regulation makes things safer and should also create more products, more compliance products will be coming out to support the regulations that provide um, reporting and such. So it's all going to be good for the industry in the end, in my opinion. Hey, it's Craig again. Just wrapping things up on the September News Roundup. And if you listened this far, you're a dedicated learner, and I predict that you'll go far in all your life's endeavors. So you've got that going for you. In the meantime, please click over to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and sign up for our newsletter. 
Once a month, you'll receive an email chock full of knowledge and industry goodness, and you'll be so glad that you did. All right, catch everyone again next time.